recognition that tomorrow is Labor Day and that again, all that we do in our worship and our work can be done as unto the Lord and for his glory. Uh, would you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 4? We're going to be looking at verses 4, 14 to 16 this morning. We are really uh, between series here. We have finished our study in Matthew's Gospel. And in a couple weeks, we're going to begin a new series called The Story, which is going to take us through looking at the big story of the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation over the course of this next year. And I'll explain a little bit more about that uh, in the weeks to come, but just giving you a little tease. It's on the Friendship Register. You can see the story begins on September 16th, so uh, you can kind of think about that, and we'll share more each week as we go along. But take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 4. I'd like to read for us verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture which is so timely for today. We come before you, before your throne of grace, because we are in need of mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And I just pray that you would speak powerfully to your people today, to all of us, to comfort our hearts, encourage us, and help us to hold on to Jesus. Amen. It has been a tough week for our church. For uh, Gail and I, it started actually a week ago. Uh, we were down in uh, Wichita uh, seeing our new granddaughter, which is really a joy, and being with Matt and Deborah, and I uh, got to worship with them last week at the church where he now leads in worship, and what a joy that was to just uh, see him uh, involved in the church and being so warmly received and serving the Lord in that way. But while we were there a week ago Friday, we got a call from our youngest son, Ben, that one of his best friends from college had been killed in a car accident, 20 years old. Uh, Sean was from Stillwater. He had been at our house. Uh, we, we didn't know his parents, but we knew Sean and from his times that he had been up. And uh, he was a wonderful young man who loved the Lord, was just on fire for Christ, involved with Campus Crusade for Christ down at La Crosse, and with Ben, had been a good friend. And, and they were planning, actually, a bunch of the guys to live together this year in a duplex, and all of that changed in a moment. Sean was going up to a cabin in Wisconsin of another friend, Nate, and he had invited Ben to go along, but Ben had other plans that day. He was going to the state fair with his fiancée and her family, and so he said no, he didn't go. And you have all of those kind of what-ifs, you know, what if? Had I had been there, would I have been killed? Or what if I had been there, would he not have died? And you've got to put that all in God's hands. But yesterday when there was the funeral down at Rock Point Church in Lake Elmo and Gil was there and said, you know, when you see six young men all dressed up that were 
pallbearers, you know, it just doesn't look right. Six guys in their 20s ought to be there for a wedding or something that's a, a celebration, not six young men that are there as pallbearers for their friend. And then on Thursday of this week, we were all stunned by the news that Mike Lazad had passed away, died unexpectedly in his sleep. We got the call early Thursday morning, went over to see Lisa and the boys and to pray with them and to just be there. There's nothing you can really say at times like that, just to be present. We know that Mike is with the Lord. We know that Sean is with the Lord. We rejoice in that and that their battle is done and they are in his presence. But we grieve because we feel the loss and we know what that means for families. We know what that means in those situations and we want to be there to, to comfort them. And sometimes trials just seem like they, they pile up, you know, and the storms are just battering you and you, you feel all of these things that are going on in different people's lives. And what we're looking for is we're looking for a shelter in the storm. We're looking for a place where we can find strength and comfort. And I believe that that's why the writer of Hebrews wrote these words. I believe he was writing to a people in those early centuries of the church who were going through such persecution in their lives. They were dealing with struggles and trials that are normal to all of us, but they were also suffering. And he urged them. He urged them to hold on to the hope that they profess. He urged them to hold on to Jesus. And that's what we're going to do today. Storms will come. There will be trials in life. But Jesus is a shelter in the storm. And we're going to look at these three points today that are reminders of who Jesus is. Jesus is our shelter in the storm. Look at verse 14 again. The scripture says that therefore since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Jesus is called here our great high priest. That's a title that is rich with meaning. But in order for us to understand it, we need to go back and, and know something about the role of the high priest in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. The role of the high priest was more than an administrative position or title. In his hands rested the spiritual responsibility for the entire people of God. He represented the people before God. And that's why this was such a, a responsible position, a weighty position. It was also one of great honor and privilege. And once a year on the Day of Atonement... Yom Kippur, the high priest would offer a sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. You can show the slide of the temple, for example, where this high priest would come on this great day and he would bring the blood of a sacrifice that had been made as an offering before God. And he would walk through the outer courts of the temple. He would walk past the brazen altar. And he would walk inside the temple or the tabernacle in earlier days into the first room that was called the holy place. 
And he would walk past that behind the veil into the inner room that was called the Holy of Holies, where God himself dwelt. When a high priest went in on those days, there were some things that were done kind of for his protection and for the protection of those who might follow because when he went in, they didn't know if he was going to come out. And so the high priest would have bells around the bottom of his garment, his robe, and he would also have a rope that was tied around one of his ankles so that if he died in the presence of the Lord and they didn't hear the bells ringing, they could pull him out. It was a holy and awesome moment as he went before the Lord. Now, just to share a little humor, because I need a little humor today, too, I thought it was interesting that this week out of all weeks, somebody put a bear bell in my mailbox here at church. And I'm not sure who, who did that, but thank you for that. This could be a useful thing when I uh, do my next prayer retreat or wilderness fellowship. Uh, I can use this. The last time I was there, I was walking on one of the paths, having a prayer walk, and I surprised a bear, and he surprised me, and uh, we both went kind of scampering off in different directions, so this could be good. But I suspect it was one of our staff because the staff said they, they'd kind of like it if I wore this around here so they knew when I was coming. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little suspicious on who might have done that. But in any case, you can think of this high priest then who was going into the Holy of Holies on that day. And when he enter, entered into that inner room, there would be the Ark of the Covenant before him. This chest overlaid with gold, about two feet by three feet in dimensions, with a cover on it on which the cherubim were on each end facing toward the middle and it was there between the cherubim that God had chosen to meet his people on what was called the mercy seat and when the priest would enter into the tabernacle he would bring that blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat first for his own sins and the sins of his family and then for the sins of the nation to make atonement once a year for what had been done. This was where God had chosen to meet with them. And when he saw the blood that was a covering for their sin, he would forgive them. The sacrifice that was made needed to be of an animal that was pure and innocent, without defect, perfect in every way. Now why did they go through this ritual, this ritual that was so serious every year? It is because it was a sober reminder to the people that our God is a holy God. And we have sinned against him in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. And there is only one way that we can be forgiven. By the death of one who was without sin, who would take our place. The Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And that's why Jesus came. He is the spotless, sinless Lamb of God who shed his own blood for our sins. And in the Old Testament, when the high priest went into that holy place, he had to do it every year because of his own sin and the sins of the people. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, when he died on Calvary, he paid the penalty once for all. And do you remember when he hung on the cross, he cried out, It is finished, which meant that the debt had been paid in full. 
And when Jesus entered into the holy place, it was not here on earth that he brought his blood, but it was into that holy place in heaven, the holy of holies, where Jesus made that sacrifice for our sins. And when we place our faith in him, and we come to know Christ as our Savior and Lord, all of our sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. They are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Scripture here is saying that since we have this great high priest, since we have come to know Jesus, who has gone through the heavens for our sake, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly without wavering to the faith that we profess. Have you come to know Christ as your Savior and Lord? And hold on to Jesus and tell others about him. When he talks about professing our faith here, he is actually talking about public confession of Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Not just in the church, not just among friends with whom we are comfortable, but even in our places of work or at our schools or with those that we may not know as we have opportunity. Tell others about Jesus. One of the things that I've heard about Mike in recent days was just how much he did that. I've talked to teachers who worked with him in the school as well as to his family and friends who all shared a similar theme that Mike really wanted his life to count for Jesus. And whether he was at the school, there were roles in which he played a mediator or there were times when he saw a need in the school and he organized a before-school prayer meeting and invited people to come. Or he would talk with students that he coached or when he even met people around town. Uh, people told me that there were times when Mike would simply just hear a need and he'd say, could we pray about that? And he would just stop and pray with people right there whatever that need was. Mike was using his time and his life in a way that would make a difference and touch other people. And we're going to see that tomorrow in the testimonies and in the number of people who come. And isn't that really what we all want? I mean, isn't that how we want to live our life in a way that it touches others and that God is able to use us to make a difference for Christ? I like that one saying that was up here during the offering when it said, you know, don't count your days by the successes you see, but by the seeds you plant. Because we never know how many of those seeds are going to bear fruit. And what we might be doing each day that just seems like a small thing, just stopping to pray or just coming alongside somebody that's going to bear fruit for eternity because God's going to use it. Jesus is our shelter in the storm, and we hold on to him. And secondly, the writer of Scripture tells us that Jesus understands our weaknesses. We see that in verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. One of the qualifications for a high priest is that he had to be like us. And that's what Jesus did when he took on human flesh. The Bible tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature just like we do. He entered this world as a tiny baby and he grew to become a man. He experienced the limitations of human flesh. 
He knew what it was like to be tired and thirsty. He knew what it was to work hard and to walk on dusty roads. He understood what it feels like to be lied about or mistreated or falsely accused. He even understands what it's like to stand by the side of a grave and weep. I think of the passage with Lazarus in John chapter 11, where the shortest verse in the Bible simply says, Jesus wept. He understands our grief in times like this too, because he has been there. He's experienced life as a man. He's not some far-off God who doesn't understand our weaknesses. He entered into our world and entered into our suffering and our sorrows and our pain. And he made a difference, didn't he? Oh, he made a difference. When he died and rose again and conquered over sin and death and Satan to give us the hope that we need. Some people sometimes say, you know, well, of Jesus, you know, who entered into our struggles and was tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Some people say, well, of course, he was God. I mean, you know, how hard could that have been? They don't really understood how, understand how Jesus chose to live his life. Jesus chose to live his life as we must, in dependence upon his heavenly Father, in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' temptation was greater than even what we will ever know because the stakes were so high and because he never gave in. C.S. Lewis made this comment. He said, there's a silly idea that's current that good people do not know what temptation means. And he goes, this is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. You find out the strength of a current in a river by swimming against it instead of by going with it. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. Satan tried everything he could to keep Jesus from going to the cross, but he could not. Jesus died and rose again and triumphed for our sake. And what is so great about Jesus in this passage also is his compassion. He understands what life is like. He understands our weaknesses, our temptations, our struggles. For many years, Paul Eshelman worked as the director of the Jesus film, that movie on the life of Christ. And he saw in his own life thousands of people come to know the Lord through that film, literally millions of people around the world have heard the gospel and placed their faith in Jesus through that ministry. And Paul Eshelman said that one of the reasons why that film was so effective was because of how it touched people's lives in their situation. Much of the world still lives very simply and humbly, just like those first century days. 
And when they saw Jesus as a man living in these humble circumstances and walking those dusty roads, they could identify with him. And when they saw Jesus heal the sick or uh, raise the dead or cast out demons, they saw someone who could help them in their need and someone who had compassion on them. And when they heard Jesus speak in their language, as this film has been translated into so many languages, they understood that Jesus had come to be just like us. And he came to be like us so that we could become like him. He entered into our world, entered into our suffering so that one day we could join with him in his father's mansion, in that new heaven and new earth that he is creating for us. And thirdly, Jesus invites our prayers in verse 16. Verse 16, it says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He invites us to come before his throne. And what's interesting here is that in Hebrews chapter 4, there are two thrones mentioned. One comes earlier in verse 13 when the scripture says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There is a throne of judgment before which all of us will one day stand. A throne of judgment and accountability that terrifies many. It terrifies those who do not know the Lord. It is, though, very sobering also for us who do know him because we want our life to count and to be lived for his honor and glory. But there is a second throne that is mentioned here. The throne of grace in verse 16. This throne that Jesus invites us to come before because he died and he paid the penalty for our sins and we do not need to approach him with fear of judgment, but instead come before him to find grace in our time of need. When we know Jesus as our Savior and Lord, our sins are forgiven. And we can come before His throne at any time. The writer of Scripture tells us we can come before His throne with confidence. That word confidence means with bold frankness. With bold frankness. Now that doesn't mean we come before God with rudeness. It means we come before God with honesty and openness in our conversation. Whatever's on our heart, we can say to Him. Whatever we are feeling, whatever we are wrestling with or struggling, we can come and talk about that with Jesus. And what do we receive when we come before His throne? We find mercy, forgiveness for our past sins. And we find grace, grace to help us in our present and future needs. We need that every day, don't we? You know, I think of friends of ours and I think of people that I know who are struggling in marriage and relationships. All of us who are married need grace for each day. To live in a way that honors the Lord and that respects our spouse and treats them with kindness and love and affirmation. We need God's grace. 
We need God's grace as a single person going through the challenges of life and the responsibilities that we have. We need God's grace when we go to work and we face another day and there are responsibilities and demands upon our time and maybe there are situations where we are struggling with a co-worker. We need God's grace when we are grieving, when we have lost someone we love. I think of the family of this young man that I mentioned and I, I put myself in their situation and I just it breaks my heart to think about losing a 20-year-old son. I think of Lisa. I think of her family and what that is like for them. And my heart aches for them. We need God's grace every single day. You know, Sean, this young man who went to be with the Lord at the service and at the visitation they printed an entry that he had made in his journal on May 31st of this year and he said this he was having his devotions that day in Luke chapter 18 verse 17 where the scripture says truly I say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it and he wrote this as his thoughts that day he said Receive the kingdom with childlike faith, not foolish faith, but a faith that trusts fully even if we don't fully understand God and his ways and character and existence. Receive the kingdom with childlike trust. As a child completely and fully trusts their parents with their life, we must do so with God. We may not fully understand his plans and his will, but we can and we must trust that the Lord has promised that he will work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him even in the storms of life. Praise him even when our heart hurts and is aching. What are your stories? What are the challenges that you are facing? What are your needs? What are your dreams and your joys? Isn't it good to know that we can come to Jesus at any time with all of our needs and find mercy and grace to help us? You know, this week in all of the whirlwind of things that were going on around here, um, I didn't spend a lot of time watching the hurricane down in the Gulf. I saw a little bit of it, though, of Hurricane Isaac, and I was praying for that situation, and I know it's been devastating for many there, but I'm very thankful it wasn't as bad as Hurricane Katrina a number of years ago. But one of the pictures that you see whenever there's a hurricane that kind of sticks in my mind as an illustration of what we're talking about today is that just about in every hurricane you'll see some weatherman or news reporter standing out in the midst of the storm, right? And they're out there and they're either, you know, leaning against the wind trying to brace themselves for all they're worth or they're hanging onto a tree with their arm wrapped around it or they're holding onto a pole or something just to give you an illustration of how strong the winds are and the rain that's driving against them. But you can bet as soon as that camera is off that they are looking for a shelter in the storm. Jesus is our shelter in the storm. When the wind and the waves are against us, what do we do? We hold on to him, and thankfully, he's the one who's holding on to us. 
We confess him as our Savior and Lord. We give him the honor and glory. We praise God for the hope that we have and the promise of eternal life. We take comfort in his understanding of our needs, his understanding of our weakness, and we bring all of that to Jesus. And we lay it at his feet, and we ask for grace and strength for today. Let's do that. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. It just really is so timely. And it's how we feel, and we thank you so much for Jesus. And I pray today that you administer to all of us comfort and hope. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to remember the one who has gone before us, who paved the way. And Father, we thank you again. Just we rejoice in knowing that those who we have lost, that Mike, Sean, others that we know of in recent days, have gone to be with you, Lord. Thank you for their testimony. Thank you for the faith that they had in Jesus. And may we, too, follow in your steps. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.